This is Jew 2, Tales of the Mixed Multitude. I'm Rabbi Emily Cohen. This episode is produced in collaboration with the Jewish Home Project at B'nai Jeshrin on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and with Lab Shul, a pop-up community in New York that I'm lucky enough to be resident rabbi for. We recorded the interviews for this episode over, surprise, surprise, Zoom, and we're lucky to be joined by audience members not only in New York City, but from all over the place. Our topic? Conversion. How have those who've chosen to join the Jewish community found home and struggled to find home in the Jewish world? And how have they held their Jewish identities alongside everything else that makes them who they are? I grew up in a little town in Indiana and not very many Jews, but there was one family that lived on my street. So I might have been about 10 or 11. There was one kid who was not really a friend of mine. He was older than me. David Galleon is his name. And David was maybe 13 or 14. And I asked him about this this family on the street, I guess just because he seemed like a kind of a know-it-all kid. And I said, what's the deal with what is, what is Jew, what are the Jew, what are Jews? What are they, what is that? And when I think about it now, I mean, I'm 55 years old, small town, Indiana. Somebody asks a kid, you know, just like a kid, that question, a non-Jew, he could have said any damn thing. I mean, he could have said, well, the Jews killed Jesus, or, you know, he could have said any number of ugly things. But what he said was, oh, the Jews, they, they have a prayer for everything. You get up in the morning, you say a prayer. You have your breakfast, you say a prayer. You go to the bathroom, you say a prayer. You look at the window, you say a prayer. And I thought, I, mean, I thought, well, that sounds that sounds like the way we should be living. That sounds right. He opened this door that you know. All these years later, I managed to walk through. My name is Sean Gibby. I've been a Jew for 15 years now, I think. I work for an Italian-American academic institute in the middle of Manhattan. I've lived in New York for 17 years. I come from the Midwest originally. Yay, Midwest. (laughs) For the longest time, I didn't think that anyone could convert to be a Jew unless they were marrying a Jew. I didn't think anyone did that. And so I thought, well, I'm really, really interested in this religion, but I guess it's just kind of a thing that I'm very, very interested in. You know, I would make Jewish friends, would say like, oh, uh, tell me about Yom Kippur, or, um, you know, do you keep kosher? What is that like? What, what, you know, what? So I would grill them. I finally introduced myself to a rabbi in my early 30s because I, you know, had gotten to a point that I I couldn't self-educate any longer. And then when I moved to New York, uh, my friend Dahlia asked me if I wanted to come to Friday night services at B'nai Jeshurun, and I had never been to a Jewish service before. So there I was, I had just moved to town, and it was dark, and I didn't know anybody in the room, nobody except this friend who was sitting next to me. And the music started and, you know, the praying started and I lost it. 
at just completely lost it. I was shaking. I was crying. I didn't know what was going on. What was happening to me? And Dolly said, oh, that happens. You know, that happens to a lot of people. It's very moving. That was the point at which I, I just felt like this is the right it's completely foreign. It's completely weird to me. I've heard some people say, oh, I've, I've always felt at home. You know, I've always felt like I was Jewish or I've always felt at home with Jews. Not me at all. This could not have possibly been more alien to me, but I also knew it was right. So then I uh, emailed Roli Matalon, who didn't know me. And I said, I think I need to be a Jew, but I'm freaking out. I don't, I don't know what to do. Bless his heart, he wrote me right back and said, do not worry about anything. We will take it one step at a time. Everything will be fine. I'm Lewis. I am a native New Yorker. I lived in LA for five years and I moved back to New York uh, almost two years ago. I converted to Judaism four years ago this June. I grew up Catholic. It did not sit well with me. There was a cultural thing that didn't really click. And I think it comes down to, I like to ask questions and I question everything. And so one thing that I love about Judaism is the ability to have a conversation with God and to engage God in dialogue and question them and really sort of wrestle in a way that I didn't feel I could as a child. Catholicism was not the only significant religious or cultural influence in Lewis's upbringing. My parents are from the Caribbean, so it was this sort of mix of like Catholic culture with um, what's known as Santeria, which is like Caribbean voodoo. <laughs> so they would do these things every now and then that I would just look at them and be like, oh, that's not very Catholic. <laughs> like, that is a chicken foot. And like, what are you doing? <laughs> so it was an interesting childhood. Um, but they always prayed a lot and they would pray for each other and they still do. And I think that's something that I still carry with me and that I brought with me. I refer to myself as Jew-Minican. There's a lot of intersections, so I don't really think about the order. I guess it sort of depends on who I'm interacting with and when. I do feel that visibility matters. I noticed that when I was growing up, I didn't see people that looked like me doing the things that I do now. And it feels nice to sort of see people that are younger than me that look like me working with me and sort of seeing things change. And I feel like that sort of applies to all areas of life. So here, you know, for Jews of color. <laughs> Our third guest, Beryl, also grew up Catholic, but her background is quite different from Lewis's due to, well, you'll tell in a moment. Hi, everyone. I'm Beryl. I, uh, I'm French, but grew up in South Africa. came to the U.S. about six years ago to study I actually graduate from Colombia on Zoom next week, and I converted actually through B'nai Jeshurun, I think last September, but I have been a Jew at heart my whole life, and I'm so excited to be on this podcast. I actually used to listen to Jew too, like way back when, and so I feel like I've come full circle 
I joked uh, previously that when I walk past a church, sometimes it feels like I'm walking past an ex-boyfriend's house. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of baggage and a lot of history there. I grew up in a culturally Catholic home. Like my dad went to Jesuit boarding school. Both of my parents received like their Holy Communion and we weren't particularly practicing when I grew up, but it was definitely like, you know, it was, it was there. I always felt like there was an administrative mistake. It just didn't correspond with me. And so it was pretty easy for me to step away uh, when I made the decision to, to convert. I, I think that came from years of frustration uh, about the way the Catholic Church handled sexual abuse or didn't handle it. I think that made it much easier for me to, to separate. And then I will, I will say the final nail in the coffin for me in my Catholic life was when my father was dying, he was diagnosed with like a very, very aggressive form of pancreatic cancer. And when he was in the ICU in the last week of his life, I arrived at the hospital one morning and I was told that my father had received his, his last rites when I was in there. And that sort of felt like a spiritual violation because, you know, we were not asked as a family. I don't think he was asked. And so after that, I sort of distanced myself um, and stepped away. I feel like I had a lot of Jewish influences growing up in South Africa. Actually, when my parents first moved, the first person they had contact with was an immigration lawyer who was Jewish. He recommended uh, local schools for me to, to enroll in, and I ended up in a Jewish school, and I spent six years there. So I was well-versed. I, you know, <laughs> I grew up thinking I was Jewish until I wasn't. Actually, in... I think it was eighth grade, I ended up in an all-girls Anglican school. And I was like, I don't feel at home here. And that was sort of the first indication that I was, you know, really committed to what I had grown up with. My mom's stepfather growing up was also Jewish. And so there were little pockets here and there. It's when I moved to the Upper West Side that the world around me suddenly became very Jewish and it exposed me to a kind of uh, Judaism that was really diverse. And I think New York is really unique for that in the sense that we have every flavor of Judaism out there. And I felt like I could experiment for the first time and find the one that you know, corresponded with me the most. For those of you unfamiliar with the neighborhoods of New York City, the Upper West Side of Manhattan is a place with a lot of Jewish engagement and lots of different sorts of ways to invite yourself into Jewish life, from synagogues to eating establishments to cultural centers. For a lot of us who come from parts of the country or parts of the world where Jewish life might be limited to just a couple of options, it can almost be overwhelming to be in a place like New York where the options seem limitless. For Lewis, the amount of Jewish life in New York City meant that growing up here, he didn't even think of Jews as a minority population. So I think because I grew up in New York, I didn't know that Jewish people were minorities because, you know, it's New York. <laughs> it's very diverse, we're everywhere. And so I, I went to boarding school when I was 14 in New Hampshire. And when I got there it was the first time that I heard about Jewish people referred to as minorities. And I was sort of curious about what that meant and what made them different. 
And one of my proctors who I really looked up to was Jewish. And so I sort of just asked him questions about like, what does that mean? What are you doing? And the memory that always comes to mind for me is when I was going to class one day and he was sitting by the window, not going to class. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, it's Yom Kippur. I can't go to class. Like, I need to pray today. I was like, what's that? And so he explained it to me and I just looked at him and I said, I wish I didn't have to go to class today. (laughs) Lewis mentioned boarding school. The boarding school that I attended for high school was a Quaker school, West Town. And that's where I got my first religious education. And it's really not a bad kind of transition place because, you know, the, the Quakers, you know, you don't have to swear that you believe anything specific about Jesus. Um, which is great for me because <laughs> I didn't I didn't have any particular feelings about Jesus. So it was a good place to kind of camp out and hide while I, you know, grew into being a Jew. There was no religion in my home whatsoever. My parents made a conscious decision not to raise any of the three of us in a faith tradition. My mom was a, I guess, a Protestant Christian, uh, but she never talked about it. And daddy was an atheist, but I never heard him say anything derogatory or negative about religion ever. And they never talked about it. It opened the way for me to sort of experiment. And it's, I actually, I was drawn to Catholicism because it seemed very serious. (laughs) And that appealed to me as a young kid that, um, you know, there are a lot of things you can do and um, and it's also very beautiful. There's a lot of you know beautiful aspects to Catholicism, but Jesus just was never compelling to me at all. So that yeah, that was a kind of a deal breaker. <laughs> Quick sidebar: I noticed that all three of my guests on this episode either turned away from Catholicism or an interest in Catholicism. And while I'm super glad that all three have found their home in Judaism, I don't want it to sound as though Catholicism is bad. So just naming that there are many, many people for whom Catholic belief is a central part of a moral life. And if you'd like to learn more about families that have both Jews and Catholics in them, if you go back to the very second episode of this podcast, Jewish and Catholic, you'll hear stories from folks that are part of families that include both Jews and Catholics and find love and morality in both faiths. But back to Judaism. One of the questions I wanted to get into with my three guests was around terminology. There are two main terms used for those who opt into Judaism of their own accord, in the English language anyway converts and Jews by choice. I know a number of people who prefer one over the other, who really like both and who really despise both. And I wanted to talk to Lewis and to Beryl and to Sean about what terms they might prefer and why. I will say I actually used to have a problem with the term Jew by choice, because to me it was, you know, once you convert, you're a Jew. Why are we differentiating between born Jews and people who converted? But I've really come to love the term Jew by choice because I think we need to honor the journey. And I think there is something amazing about choosing a faith and choosing a faith as a consenting, informed adult. Uh, And I think for me, the term Jew by choice really reflects that. I was 39 when I converted, so I was older. I was very keenly aware of having wasted (laughs) a lot of time, 39 years not being a Jew, not fulfilling, not, you know, performing mitzvot. I, I feel like I wasted a lot of opportunities to, to, you know, do 
things that I enjoy that are valuable to me as a Jew now. So I take every opportunity I can to say I'm a Jew. Like if I meet somebody at a party, it'll be, you know, within five minutes, I'll, I will have said I'm a Jew. So I like, it's not because I don't, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that I'm a convert, but it's more the, I like to call myself a Jew and I like to say it out loud. Uh, I, I like the word convert. I think it's fine. So for me, my first conversion class ever, the teacher said that, you know, you're doing the right thing. It feels less like a conversion and more like an affirmation for what you already believe and do. And that's really what the process felt like. And I generally like to say that it was an affirming experience. I think conversationally, when people ask, like, I eventually just say I'm a a convert or a Jew by choice. I don't really, I don't dislike those terms, but I think affirmation is better. For Lewis, the process of officially affirming his Jewish identity was followed by, let's say, a rough night. But before we hear that story, what does conversion consist of anyway? For most potential converts to Judaism, There's the need for coursework, for meetings with spiritual leaders, and often a full year of experience in the Jewish community prior to completing the process. Immersing oneself in in that cycle and feeling that, and knowing that you have at least a year ahead of you when you start out. I mean, again, it's because I was older, I felt like I wasn't in a rush, but I, I was very conscious of how much time had passed that I was I had not been a Jew. But I think that I think it's really good for it to take as much time as it takes because it's it's a serious thing. So I think it's I think it's pretty well pretty well designed. I actually really like the process and I think it's very thoughtful and meaningful and important. The fact that you have to live through an entire cycle and actually experience the holidays, experience sort of what you're getting yourself into um, really allows you the time and space to think about, is this really for me? Is this who I am? Is this what I want to do? And I think part of the experience of being a convert is that it's really beautiful to sort of discover these things about yourself. After the time of study, when the moment arrives to complete one's conversion, there are a few steps in the process. So a Beit Din is like a rabbinical court. It sounds a lot scarier than it is, especially at, at B'nai Jeshurun. Uh, it's two to three rabbis with a sponsoring rabbi. Shout out to my sponsoring rabbi, Mago, who's actually present. So many fun connections with previous Jew 2 episodes. If you want to hear more about rabbi-to-be Margot Hughes Robinson's story, check out episode 7, Four Questions for Passover, or even her rough cut. Both are on the Jew2 website, jew2podcast.com. But the Beit Dean is there to sort of evaluate uh, your process and talk to you about your decisions and your journey. And they sort of, the final step in the conversion is to appear in front of them and sort of plead your case, which is really more of a casual conversation about where you're at. In the best of circumstances, the Beit Dean is exactly that a chance to reflect just before you officially join the Jewish people on what's gotten you to this place in your life, to share some of your lingering questions and to have a supportive environment. 
Depending on the rabbis making up your Beit Din, however, that might not be the experience. Some Beit Din are quite pushy and almost trying to dissuade you from the process of completing your conversion. So it depends on the circumstances, but in the best practice, you would end up being with a supportive group that's ready to shepherd you into the next chapter of your being. Enter the mikvah. The mikvah is a ritual bath in orthodox communities. It's used for laws of family, family purity. In other circles, it's sort of, I would say it's a place to mark thresholds and the threshold of conversion is sealed with an immersion in the mikvah. For everyone seeking to convert to Judaism, the mikvah is the final step. Usually, you enter the mikvah directly after your meeting with the Beit Din. For folks with the applicable organ, there's also the process of either circumcision or hatafat dambrit, which is the drawing of a few drops of blood on the organ. You know what I'm talking about, but family show. And this would occur prior to the Beit Din and mikvah. Once these two or three steps are completed and you emerge from the mikvah, you're a Jew. I will say that while I was converting, I expected the mikvah to be that moment for me. You know, I thought I would dip and come out of the water and feel Jewish. It was actually very underwhelming because to me, the whole journey had led up to that point, but I had become Jewish along the way. And it was, it was a nice experience, but it wasn't the experience I thought it would be. I think for me, something that surprised me about the conversion journey was how expensive it could be. And so it makes me wonder, you know, how accessible is it really? You know, I had to pay for classes and then the fee for the make that was really surprisingly uh, heavy. And it, it felt odd that I had like immersed and I was a new Jew. And then the first thing I had to do was like present my, my credit card to the mikveh lady. And so I wish, you know, I, I wish as a community we did more to render it more accessible. Maybe it's just a New York thing that it, you know, it, it, it is as expensive as it is. But I was fortunate that B'nai Jashirun doesn't, doesn't charge a fee for all your meetings with um, the rabbinical staff or anything like that. So that's something to keep in mind, you know, if you are considering a conversion in New York City. The finances of conversion are complex. In every rabbinical organization I know about, it's not permitted to charge a potential convert for meetings with the rabbi or for the Beit Din itself. And even the payment for the mikvah is typically worded as a donation, albeit not an optional one. The reason for this is mostly that we don't want anybody to feel as though they've bribed their way into becoming Jewish. The rabbis on Beit Din, like all judges, should be as impartial as possible. I enjoyed the experience with the court because it was everyone from my temple, so it was a very nice conversation. I'd say for me, you know, I had these moments leading up to it where I was like, oh, I'm like becoming Jewish and I'm going to do all these things and like I am Jewish. And one of the things I like about it is how many rituals we have because it is this reminder of Judaism. And for me, at least, that's kind of the point. So I noticed more and more. And so I think um, it was actually the night after the mikvah. I had a panic attack, <laughs> which I sometimes have. I live with a mental disorder. So I had a panic attack and I was like, in my mind, I thought, okay, what if the devil is real? <laughs> 
and now I've done this thing. <laughs> and so I sort of had an anxiety attack about that. And then what sort of got me out of that place was thinking about all of the things that I had done since I started becoming a Jew and all of the practices that I had started to keep and all of the community service that I had become involved in and the ways in which I sort of worked towards making the world a better place. And that calmed me down. After my panic attack, I thought about what it means to be a Jew. One of the questions that the rabbinical court asked me during my bait in was, what does it mean for you to join this persecuted people? And what I told them was that Jews had survived as minorities for thousands of years. And I wanted to know how they did that because I embody several different minorities. And so I've, I've had to deal with various things throughout my life from various people. And Judaism is, I would say, my foundation <laughs> in terms of how I really live a meaningful and joyful life as someone that does not always feel safe I survived a hate crime in LA and um, I had to stay in LA for nine months after that before I was able to move home and not work and just go to therapy and temple <laughs> and, you know, heal. And for those nine months that I was working full time with a very stressful job in production and advertising, my ritual practices and my community at Temple really helped me make it to get back here. And I really don't think emotionally I would have gotten through that period of my life if I didn't keep Shabbat once a week and just allow myself to feel every single emotion that I felt, to just do whatever I felt like doing, not think about work, not check my emails, you know. Sometimes I'd wake up and drive to the mountains three hours away and spend the day up there, and it was nice. Uh, but just keeping that practice and marking time in that way um, has really changed my approach to life, and I feel much more productive and much more at peace with myself with these practices. I converted at B'nai Jeshren, and I would have to say that I, I have never felt unwelcome within that sanctuary or within that community. And probably the, the most integrated I've ever felt was when I, I had a, a young friend of mine who was Spanish, and he converted at B'nai Jeshren sometime after me, and I was kind of a, a mentor for him through his process. And one Shabbat morning, the Gabbai who runs the, who kind of choreographs the Shabbat service, picking people who get to go up to bless the Torah, he or she, we have all different kinds of genders in our community, and they, they just make sure that everything runs smoothly. So this person asked me and Pablo, if we would carry the Torah scrolls around the sanctuary through the community at that point in the Shabbat morning service. And it was almost like an out-of-body experience. You know, holding the Torah is probably emotional for 
any, you know, I would say probably most people who do it. And for converts, I don't know. I, it was exceedingly moving for me. The rabbis come up and kiss the Torah while you're holding it, which makes it even more like a, you know, like a living, almost like an animal, you know, or a, or a baby or something that you're holding. And then walking through the crowd of faces, it was just face after face after, I mean, I get a little, a little teary even thinking about it because it's just these beautiful faces and they're, you know, they're blessing you and they're, and it's just, they just keep coming at you. It was really, it was a, a very intense, full, transcendent experience. It was a highlight of my life, really. At LabShul, we actually call conversion integration. The idea being that when you become Jewish, you aren't shutting out parts of your life or trading them in for others. Rather, you're integrating your new Jewish identity with everything else that makes you who you are. It's really important to honor your own um, journey and your own heritage and your own customs. So one thing that we started incorporating at home is when we say the bracha over the bread on Fridays, we have uh, one loaf of challah and we have one baguette to honor my French heritage. So I think sometimes it's just about like finding what works for you, you know, make it your own flavor and your own interpretation of tradition. I mean, that's kind of what we Jews do. We take our traditions, we honor them, we innovate them, and we bring them forward through time, everything adapting as necessary to whatever's happening in our world. If you look at the way that this podcast even came to be over Zoom, it's something that our ancestors couldn't have imagined from podcast to Zoom. But it's rooted in something that they could definitely understand. Sacred storytelling and the picking up of lots of people along the way to form our mixed multitude, to make the Jewish people exactly the diverse, expansive group that we are and always have been. I'm recording this episode exactly a week before Shavuot, and I'm thinking so much about the revelation of Torah at Sinai, the idea that all Jews, past and present, people that converted, people that were born into Jewish families, and everybody in between, we are all there, looking at each other and looking up at our sacred story with awe and with gratitude. Deep thanks to Beryl, to Lewis, and to Sean for being my guests on this episode, and as always to B'nai Jeshurun for their continued partnership this season. If you'd like to be in touch with us, please find the podcast at jew2podcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud at jew2podcast. And of course, there's always email, jew2podcast at gmail.com. You can be especially helpful by leaving us a rating or by sharing this podcast with others in your community that might appreciate it. In the meantime, wishing you all well in, cliche though it is, these truthfully deeply uncertain times. May you find moments of peace and of healing and of connection with all those who make your life meaningful.